everyone, you made it. Wherever you're watching from, whether you're here with us in person or watching online, you are a part of our CCC family. Everyone who walks through our doors or visits us online has a place at CCC, and we are so glad that you could join us today. We wanna to get connected with you beyond just watching online or visiting us in person. We truly wanna know your story and get to know you better. So Kristen, what is the best way for them to do that? The easiest way you can get connected to CCC is by filling out our connection card. All you have to do is stop by the welcome desk in the lobby or click connect on your screen. We all have an opportunity to join in worship through giving. If you're watching online, you can do this by texting CCC Rochester to 77977 or by simply clicking the give link on your screen. If you're here with us in person, you can place your offering in the boxes at the back of the auditorium as you leave. CCC wants to be a church of generous people who honor Jesus by loving each other and serving our neighbors. Thank you for your continued support and for helping us share the gospel message with the world around us. We are continuing to pray for each of you and we would love to join with you today in lifting up your specific needs and praises. If you have any prayer requests, please write them on the back of a connection card and leave it at the welcome desk. And if you're watching online, click request prayer and one of our online hosts will pray with you. There are some exciting new things happening in the life of our church. Last weekend, we launched an opportunity for you to help a family or individual in need through what we call our 507 Neighbor Grant Project. Maybe a section of your neighbor's fence fell down in a storm, but they didn't have the means to fix it. Or maybe your family wanted to put baskets together with treats and games for a couple of neighbors who are quarantined. The 507 Neighbor Grant Project would be a great option for you to lend a hand in these situations. The purpose of this is to live out our vision, to be a church of generous people who honor Jesus by loving each other and serving our neighbors. And if you want to fill out a form or need more information on this, you can go to our missions page on our website. Another really exciting thing happening at CCC is our women's dinner and movie event. It will be Friday, February 26th at Cinemagic Theaters, and you'll have the choice to watch either Instant Family or I Still Believe. You'll also have the option to go out to dinner or eat in a group of six, either before or after the movie. Head to the events page on our website for the link to register. Lastly, we have our next baptisms happening after the 5.30 service on Saturday, March 13th. If you think this is your next step in your walk with Jesus, please contact Sarah Tyson at styson at cccrochester.org. The deadline to sign up is March 1st, so be sure to sign up soon. As we prepare for worship, know that you were loved by God and welcomed here. God has brought you here today for a purpose. So we invite you to open your heart and mind to hear what God wants to teach you today. This is not just another service. This is an incredible opportunity to join with us in worshiping our creator. And that starts right now. Good evening, how's everybody doing tonight? Good, awesome. I don't know about you, but I'm loving the heat wave that's going on outside lately. It's been wonderful. <laughs> Only one jacket, not two. Um, today, I just was like thinking about just what God has been saying. I was uh, just talking to some people at work and we were discussing how like, we're in those dog days of winter where you like roll out of bed and you're like, it's still cold outside. It's still snow and it just feels heavy. 
and uh, we got even heavy, more heavy things with COVID and everything else that's going on in life. And today, God just kept saying, rest, rest. Let tonight be a time that we come and rest in the arms of our Father, for He is great and mighty. And to know that no matter what, that He has died and risen and reigns victorious. And uh, this weekend at Winter Campus Past when we talked about how God will be victorious in the end, no matter what. So let us stand today, let us worship him no matter what, and know that he is victorious and let's rest in his power and might. i 
we come to worship you and to proclaim you. Robed in everlasting light, your glory finds the earth and fills the skies. Almighty God, there's none like you. The mountains tremble when you speak. I'm listening, your whisper changes everything. Yes. 
celebrate you and we celebrate all the things that you do for us. God, we are so grateful for how good you are and how you are our living hope in a world that is so dark and so broken. We can cling to you always. And God, we know how the story ends and it is victorious. And we are so grateful for what you've done for us, God. We love you and we are so thankful for you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You may be It's really good to see you, and it's really good. It's a little warmer than it was last Saturday night. Um, I'm pinch hitting for Daryl. My name's Greg. I'm one of the pastors here. Daryl is on the road somewhere between here and Texas, and they've had quite an adventure there. We're anxious to get him back. Uh, just keep them in prayer as they make their way, way home. I'm going to jump into this just right from the get-go. Uh, this message is called The Martha Complex, and I just want to read you a couple quotes then we're going to look at the text, pray, and uh, take a good look, a uh, closer look at Martha. This is something I came across that I think is so true. You may think that in life a lot of things happen to you along the way. The truth is, in life you happen to a lot of things along the way. You have influence. You interact, you see people, how you respond especially to the stranger, says something. You have influence. Keep that in mind as we talk uh, today. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 10. I'll begin with the 38th verse. Reading from a version that most of you probably are familiar with. It's called The Voice. I just like how it lays out, uh, especially what, how we're going to be doing this message today. This is what it says. Jesus continued from there toward Jerusalem and came to another village. Martha, a resident of that village, welcomed Jesus into her home. Her sister Mary went and sat at the feet of Jesus, listening to him teach. Meanwhile, Martha was anxious about all the hospitality arrangements. Martha interrupting Jesus. Lord, why don't you care that my sister is leaving me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to get over here and help me. Jesus. Oh, Martha, Martha. You are so anxious and concerned about a million details, but really only one thing matters. And Mary has chosen that one thing, and I won't take it away from her. Let's pray. Kind Father, I pray for us as a people and a church today. I pray that as we hear your word and uh, that we would have the heart of Mary who sat at your feet. I pray that we'd be like Mary and that we would be grateful, humble, and kind. That like Mary, we'd have an attentive ear to lean in to hear your voice. But I do pray that we too would have the energy of Martha who was on her feet putting faith into action rolling up her sleeves and serving you and serving others. I pray that we would be like Martha with wise eyes, with eyes wide open to see what needs to be done and a willingness to make it happen. 
And I especially pray for us who have Martha proclivities that those of us who are easily distracted from choosing the better portion that Mary did, that we would do that. And I pray for us as Martha's here, those of us who are definitely Martha's here, that we uh, wouldn't be thinking about what we need to do after the service, that we wouldn't be putting together to-do lists in our minds about the things we want to get done this week, that we would be willing to do that one thing that's most impossible and difficult for us to do, which is to stop and to sit and to really listen to what you have to say. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to talk about Martha. We talked about Mary. If you were here last week, if you weren't, uh, you can uh, watch it online or just skip it. But um, uh, we're going to talk about Martha today. Um, uh, and I want to say up front, I don't, uh, first of all, I really love Martha and I don't like the way she gets treated. Okay. Um, I believe most of the time when people look at this story of what happens here in Luke 10, uh, where what happens is that Martha ends up getting a bum rap. Let me explain that. Here's what happens usually, how it plays out. It typically goes this way. People conclude Mary is good and Martha is bad. We need to be a whole lot more like Mary and a whole lot less uh, like Martha. And people leave this story many times, they end up condemning not just Martha, but anybody who looks, smells, acts, might be a Martha. They look down on them. And this doesn't help Martha's, okay? You know why? Because Martha's are the kind of people who in their hearts really want to do well and really want to please people. So if you criticize a Martha, um, this, this, that they're going to, first of all, make a mental note in the first chance they have to get a piece of paper and pen, they're going to write it down, what you said. And they're not writing it down because they want to hold a grudge against you. What they're doing is they're writing it down so they can put together a list to make sure it doesn't happen again. They're going to say to themselves, I won't do that again. They need to change that. I will get it right the next time. They won't dismiss it. They won't ignore it. They won't blow it off because, again, when you correct a Martha, when you tell her this wasn't good and this didn't work, it's going to drive them crazy because they have this, this innate nature to want to get it right. And Martha will conclude either I didn't have it on my list or I had it on my list and it wasn't in the right order. So what does a Martha say to herself? Four simple things. I got to get that on my list. I need to read my Bible more. I need to pray when I have a few minutes. I need to choke Mary. Now, <laughs> most of you have heard of ADD, which is Attention Deficit Disorder. Lest you wonder, I probably have some of that. Uh, you heard of OCD. That's a, what's called the Obsessive Compulsive Disorder. I have some of that, especially when it comes to putting the dishes in the dishwasher right. And Martha here has what you haven't heard of, but you're familiar with it. It's OCLD, which is Obsessive Compulsive Listing Disorder, what we were going to call the Martha Complex. And, and again, I just want you to know up front, uh, I think she gets a bum rap. I think she gets a really bum rap. That's not fair. I'm a little defensive for her, I suppose, maybe a little oversensitive on her behalf because so you know. I am, I am a Martha. I'm an anomaly because I'm a disorganized Martha. 
And you're thinking, well, Greg, you are an oxymoron. Well, you'd, you'd, you'd be half right. So what we're going to do for the next few minutes is simply this. We're going to talk about Martha. We're going to look at her a little bit closer. It's going to kind of be a quick kind of summary. Um, we have four segments to this message. The good, the bad, the ugly. If you're a Clint Eastwood fan, that's where I got that. You got the good, the bad, and the ugly film that came out in 1996. But then we're going to have a piece on it that I think is going to write the ship for Martha. And I call it the significant. First, let's look at the good Martha. There are many good traits that Martha has. One we see right here in our text in verse 38 says this, Martha, a resident of that village, welcomed him, Jesus, into her home. Another translation says it this way, Martha welcomed him and made Jesus feel quite at home. I think we could probably surmise that maybe one of her gifts is a gift of hospitality. It's one thing to feed somebody. It's another thing to make them feel comfortable in your presence. It's another thing altogether for them to feel like I'm home when they're not. This is what's been happening. Jesus is traveling. They're going from village to village. They would leave one village. And then as soon as they hit the, the sign that said the name of the village on the sign, there would be a crowd. So they would leave exhausted hit another village, and then hit the same thing, which usually meant crowds, people wanting to be healed, opportunities to teach about the kingdom. And so Jesus, day after day, was doing the same thing, just being surrounded by people. I would imagine that when they pulled into a town, one of the things that would happen right away is one of the disciples would raise his hand. And he said, hey, we have some needs here. Um, first of all, we need a place for Jesus that he can stay and spend the night. And I'm imagining when they asked, said that, we need a place for Jesus, Mary was like, ooh, ooh, me, me, pick me, pick me, okay? But I think she was even better organized than waiting to be asked. I think she probably went right to one of the head disciples and said, hey, I got Jesus taken care of. He's going to stay at my place tonight. Martha welcomes not only the disciples into town, but sets Jesus up in a place that's going to be kind of a respite in the middle of a lot of busyness. That's Martha. And this is a good thing. There's benefits to having Martha as a friend. There's benefits to having Martha as a sister. All you have to do is back up the clock and look what we looked at last week. Ask Mary. It's a blessing for her to have Martha. Why? Because last week we found Mary where? She's in the living room sitting at the feet of Jesus and getting some prime time with Jesus. And how did that happen? It happened because of Martha. Martha's the one who asked Jesus to stay with him. Hey, come over to our house tonight. Let's just hang out. And Mary gets to ride the coattails of a gal who is organized and takes the initiative. So I want to start off again just saying things like, uh, understand that Martha loves Jesus. Her heart and her home and her life is open to Jesus, okay? And she's attentive to Jesus. She understands that he's been traveling. She can see it in his face that he is tired, all right? They already had a friendship and relationship when he pulled into town. She's a mature believer, a godly woman. She does a lot of really good things. She's impressive as a person. She's articulate, determined, hardworking, organized, reliable, responsible, and she gets things done. And she gets them done because she makes the list. But she has issues. And we're going to see one of them in just a bit. 
What I want to remind you is this. Just don't be too quick to dismiss Martha. There is a very good, needed, redeeming side to her. I want to look at the bad, the bad of Martha. She has an episode, if you please, what we are going to call a Martha moment. She's in the kitchen, banging pots and pans, doing this thing alone. We don't know how many people came with Jesus. It's probably a, a small entourage plus the disciples. And she is doing all the work. And this is what we read in verse 40. Meanwhile, Martha was anxious about all the hospitality arrangements. She's stressed. She's tired. She's overwhelmed. And that's going to lead to what I call a Martha moment. Have you ever had a Martha moment? Has it ever happened because you're overcommitted, overextended, and spent? Ever find yourself doing so much that you are anxious, stressed out, and then you start getting a little bit irritated? <laughs> it starts to climb. Yeah. So as a result, Martha has one of those moments where she opens her mouth before she engages her mind. I hate people like that. I am people like that. So we understand how this could happen, right? One version says she is so upset, she just interrupts Jesus, okay? I have a coach who used to say it this way. This is where Martha goes south, way south. And this is where we see the ugly. There's a danger, by the way, of having a Martha complex. You know what it is? It's this. You convince yourself you're the only one who can do it. You convince yourself that if it's going to be done right, you need to do it because nobody else will do it as well as you. Because of that, once in a while, you'll see Martha's can have kind of a martyr complex as well. And when you feel that temperature going up and you're stressed in the words of a great life philosopher, Elmer Fudd, vivoewe, vivoewe, cowfall. She was not careful. She says, Lord, don't you care? Lord, don't you care? I, I wonder, as soon as those words came out, if Martha desperately wished she could take those, word back, those words back. You ever done that where something comes out and you just wish you could grab it and then push the rewind button and then throw it away so, no, so it wouldn't be heard? I'm going to tell you a story. I might have shared it here before. I'm the oldest of seven kids. Shared that again last week. My dad was old school, which meant he was a disciplinarian. He was not a diplomat. My dad was, one of those, was not one of those dads who would say, calm down, have a seat, let's talk about it. My dad's not the kind of guy who would say, how are you feeling? How's your heart? Tell me about why you're upset. That, that, that didn't happen. There was no negotiation, all right? My dad was not patient when one of us was out of line. His tolerance for uh, misbehavior, talking back, was non-existent. And I've said this before. My dad believed raising kids was like steering a canoe. They both go much straighter if you paddle from behind, okay? <laughs> On occasion, my dad would just think in swamp and uh, blow up the canoe, okay? That, 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 was, that worked for him. My dad's a big guy. When I grew up my, uh, living at home, my dad's 6'6". If he dieted really hard, he'd still be over 300 pounds. Um, my dad had to shave twice a day because um, 
he would sneeze and he'd have to shave. He looked like Godzilla needing a shave, okay? And I share this story with you. I was already out of the house. I was married. Uh, this is just part of our family folklore. Um, I, I have a brother named Steve. Steve is number five of seven. And one day, Steve is totally frustrated with my brother, Mike. Mike is upset about something, and my brother, uh, my brother Steve's trying to uh, help him out. And Mike is number seven. Steve is number five. So Steve is like 12 or 13 years old. Mike is maybe six years old. Mom and dad are not home. And Steve is trying to calm Mike down to help him out to find out what's wrong. But Mike won't have any of it. Any of it. And, and he just got more upset, more upset. He got out of control, completely out of line. Now he's throwing stuff, throwing a tantrum. And my brother Steve, in a fit of frustration, has had it. He grabs Mike throws him over his own knee and spanks him, <laughs> spanks him. When I heard that, if I was a Catholic, I'd have just done this to my brother because he is going to die. That's how it's going to be. My dad comes home and he gets wind of what happened. My dad, my dad would get mad. His face would go red and it looked like he had gills like a fish because he would and that meant death was near for somebody, Okay. And he goes into Steve's room, and he can't even talk. He's so upset. What, 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 what were you thinking? And my brother, Steve, has a Martha moment. Steve is 5'2 and maybe 80 pounds. He jumps up and gets into the belly button of my dad, because that's as tall as he was. And he says to my dad, if you're not going to do the disciplining in this family, somebody has to. True story. And no sooner did, no sooner did he, those words come out, he goes, he says, wrong answer, huh? And uh, <laughs> hilarious. The fact that he's still alive is hilarious. And that's what happens here. Martha, Martha has had it. And she's fuming. And she says, Lord, don't you care? Do you not care? And you would think that the flashing red lights on her mental dashboard would go off. You cross the line, back up. But she keeps right on talking. Tell her to get over here and help me. <laughs> who, who is she giving orders to? Jesus. That's a bad day at the office, okay? That just, that's not a good day. But if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes like Martha, when we're burned out and frustrated, and tired, and sometimes we're doing things that Jesus never asked us to do in the first place. We find ourselves going south, way south. I want to ask if there's any Marys in the house. You don't have to raise your hands. Because if you're Mary and you're sitting next to a Martha right now, I know what you're thinking, and Marys won't say it. But I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, best sermon ever. This is totally awesome. I just love my church, okay? And you've been elbowing Martha. And Martha, you don't even have to take notes because Mary's taking very meticulous notes right about now, just for you. But I want to step away from what's happening in Luke 10. <clears throat> and I want, I, I want to step over into a different story that happens in John 11 because if we do this, then you're going to realize, yes, Martha can be outspoken. She can have a short fuse. 
She can cross a line and have a Martha moment, but you're also going to find out that she can speak truth and she has incredibly deep faith. In John 11, there's this miracle that takes place and you won't find it in any of the other um, gospels. It's only found in John. And this is what we read. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. We know that name. And he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and uh, Martha, her, her sister. And we realize the three siblings are in this story. And Lazarus is sick. How sick? Sick enough that he might just die. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. They think they're going to lose their brother. So they send a messenger to get Jesus because they know Jesus can heal Lazarus. Now, we already know this. And it says this in the text in verse four. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet, he, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. He didn't come. When Jesus finally arrives, he's late. He's really late. In fact, he's too late because not only has Lazarus died, he's been in the tomb four days. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she got up on her feet because that's what she does. She operates from her feet. She gets up, and this is what she says to Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus and Martha end up talking for a little bit. We'll come back to that in a minute. Moments later, though, Mary is, hears that Jesus is there. Martha goes and says, the master wants to talk to you. Mary comes out and she says the exact same words. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And as I was reading and studying that this week, I remembered a, a book that I read some time ago and it talked about miracles of Jesus. And I wanted to see what this guy had to say about this particular moment where both Mary and Martha confront Jesus. And the book is called The Jesus I Never Knew by Philip Yancey. And this is what he writes. And I want you to hear how, what he says, but I also want you to think about, have you ever been there before? He writes, the sister's words carry a tone of accusation, an indictment of a God who did not answer prayer. No matter how hard we try, those of us who grieve cannot avoid words like, if only... If only he had missed that flight. If only she had quit smoking. If only she had gone to the doctor. If only I had taken time to say goodbye. Ever been there? He goes on, he says, in this case, Mary and Martha had a clear target for their, their if onlys. The son of God himself, their friend, Jesus, who could have prevented the death. Martha's crying, Mary's crying. There's a group of mourners crying there as well. What's really interesting to be easy to overlook in this text in John 11 is this. When Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. In the word empathy. One of the things we've done here a couple times when I've preached, <laughs> so I don't 
Not like, oh yeah, we like that. Not, but once in a while, we will take time to memorize a verse together. Something that's easy that you can grasp, okay? And there's a verse coming up in this text in John 11. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. We can memorize it together right now. Jesus wept. You got it. You got You've done your memory work for the day. Jesus wept. Empathy. I grew up in a, in a home where there was a certain level of legalism. We had a, a, a religious system that to some degree believed in what I called shame-based behavior modification. We will help you by shaming you. How this works for this particular story is this. This is a true story. I'm reading the Bible and it says Jesus wept. And I go to my mom. I'm upset. Why is Jesus crying? And my mom says to me, probably because of something you did. <laughs> that hilarious. And I'm looking at her not believing it. And she goes, like disappointing your mother. That is not what happened. When Jesus wept, he actually entered the pain. And there's a whole message on this of why this particular miracle happens. But what I want to focus in on is, is Martha's response in this whole dialogue. Because what she has to say is profound. It's significant. Because we see her in Luke 10 and, you know, Lord, do you not care? Tell her to get up and help me. And then we kind of give the crucifix. No, we don't want to be like that. That's not a good person. We, we, want, to be like, we want to be like Mary, okay? But listen to what happens because what we read in two different verses says a lot about the depth of Martha, something about her faith. In verse 20, it says this, because she, says, if you, she said earlier, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. They dialogue. Jesus says, well, do you believe that, I could, or that uh, the resurrection of the dead, that we'll all rise again someday? She goes, yeah, I believe that. He goes, no, do you believe that can happen now? And this is what she says. I know that even now, this is from Martha. I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. You can do it. All you have to do is ask because you have authority that God has given you. That's a tremendous statement of personal faith. Five verses later, more dialogue. And Martha says, I believe you are the Christ, the son of the living God who was to come into the world. That's a statement of faith in the midst of, I don't know what's going to happen with my brother. In the midst of, right now, my brother's four days gone. Again, bold faith, both a bold faith statement. It's significant. Yep, she has a Martha moment. We all have Martha moments. At the same time, she understands truth and the authority and the power and the life that Jesus can bring. So how, how does Jesus respond back to Luke 10? How does Jesus respond to this Martha moment? He says this. Oh, Martha, Martha, that's a term of endearment. 
Martha, Martha. It's not Marsha, 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 if you watch the Brady Bunch. No, that, that'd be cynicism. This is Martha, Martha. Martha, you are anxious, so anxious and concerned about a million details, but really only one thing matters. It's like Jesus is pulling her in. He's saying, Martha, Martha, it's, it's me. Chill. It's me. We're friends. Take a deep breath. I know you feel overwhelmed, but you're never going to get them all done. Martha, the one thing, the one thing is, how about just spending some time together with me? He's not reprimanding Martha. He's not setting her straight. He's not putting her in her place. He's just missing her. I think there's a couple of things going on here. It'd be easy to miss them. And it would be a big mistake to do so. Number one, I think Jesus is saying, Martha, I, I love your apple pie. You have the best lasagna. I love a spread that you lay out right there on that table. But I love you more. I, I want to be, if you're in the kitchen, we're not, you're not with me. I think that's amazing. Jesus is kind of reaching out and gently pulling her in. He's saying, you need to step into to the moment because there's these things that are happening and I am here and you're here. We've got, you're going to miss the moment. But I also think Jesus wants her to know that the opportunity of being together with people, people you love is a gift and it's on borrowed time. Jesus is inviting her not to miss the moment. And more than that, he's pursuing her. I think Jesus is trying to help her to see that relationships and time have a limited scope. I think the point of what happens here is quite simple and quite profound. First, 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 and foremost, we need to make merry time our first priority. There's a sequential order to things. It's got to be Mary first and Martha second. It's got to be spend time with Jesus and then get stuff done for Jesus. It's got to be worship like Mary and then work like Martha. Worship, then work. Worship God before you work so that you can worship God in your work. So we want, we want Mary's heart but we want Martha's hands. It's not either or, or, it's both and. But still, it's got to be Mary first and Martha second. Because when you're banging pots and pans, you're going to miss out where the action is. You'll miss what's most important. You'll miss out on some of life's best and most endearing moments. You'll miss out on moments you won't get back. You'll miss opportunities to hear the voice of Jesus. Oh, you'll be busy. You'll get things done. But you're going to lose out on family and friends. In 2005, in December of 2005, we went to a little town in northeast uh, South Dakota where Yvonne grew up to have Christmas with her parents. And my in-laws were getting older. My father-in-law had been struggling for some time, but they really wanted to make this a special moment. And so instead of spending all the time in the kitchen and having, because mom 
bless her soul. So that's what she was going to do. She's going to be in the kitchen a big chunk of that day. Dad went to her and says, we're not going to do that. We're going to cater. We're going to cater it so that we can just all be together, enjoy our time together. And that's what they did. And it was a rare Christmas. I couldn't remember one like it because everybody was there. Minus one grandchild, but everybody was there. All the siblings, the spouses, the families. We had a fantastic time. And I remember um, the night before we went home, my father-in-law and I were out in the living room and we're sitting and matching. They had recliners for the TV and they were matching recliners. And I was sitting in one and he was sitting in his and we were having a good conversation. And I got distracted and I got up to leave and I left to take care of a few things and I came back and he'd already gone to bed. So we went home the next day um, on New Year's Eve day, uh, the phone rang and Yvonne got the phone and she goes, hi, dad, how you doing? And there was a pause and she goes, oh no. And the tears began to fall. And uh, it wasn't her dad, it was her, the pastor of their church and he was calling because um, dad had passed away. And he worked at the church. He'd been a farmer his life, but he always wanted to do ministry. And so he ended up being the janitor for the church. And he thought it was the best job in the whole world and took pride in it. So every morning during the week, what he would do every morning, clockwork, he'd wake, he'd, be, he'd milk cows. So he, he was always up around 4, 4.30. So he felt like when he woke up 6, 6 a.m., he missed half the day. And he woke up at 6 a.m. and he would go downstairs and he would, there was a shower down there and a bedroom down there and he put his clothes down there and he'd shower and shave and then he'd walk over to the bedroom and get dressed and then go to work the, the church so he wouldn't wake up mom. But that morning he showered and shaved and on his way to the bedroom, that's where mom found him. Now you say, what's have to do anything? I missed a conversation with my father-in-law. I had this little window of time, just him and I and the, the chairs, and, and I missed it. And that was the last time I really had time alone with Dad. And it's just a story. But here's the scoop. If you're a Martha and you're beating pots and pans in the kitchen, you're missing life. You're missing time with Jesus and hearing his voice. You're missing times with those that you love and you love deeply. And you miss moments that you don't get back. Because the thing that matters in life is faith, family, and friends. Not food. So I share that with you just in a close with this. It's this. Sometimes we, we're, we go somewhere and we're having fun, but we're not really there. And sometimes there's people there and it's the last time we're going to see them. And I want to just encourage you, even in a place like this, some of you are friends you haven't seen each other. COVID's been a real pain that way. And some of you haven't met people. I get that too. But the bottom line is when you're with those you love, engage. them. I did a wedding on this podium here a couple months ago in Kent and Tracy's daughter. And we had what, eight people on the stage? That was it, maybe eight or nine. Is that right? And it was the most intimate, personal, warm wedding I've ever been a part of. 
And we stopped in the middle of the wedding and I made them, I want you to take three or four minutes and I want you to make eye contact with every, because it was just moms, dads, some grandparents, and I think a couple of people standing on each side of the bride and groom. It was so intimate. And I would say, I know they were hoping for a bigger wedding, but I would say those were the best weddings I ever got to be a part of because it was intimate and personal. And the people they loved the most were there and they didn't miss that moment. Make sure you grasp and embrace the moment and the people that you love. It's a gift. And make sure you make time to sit at the feet of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we uh, as a people, we like to be busy. Going places, doing things, getting things done, checking off our lists. And sometimes, Father, we're in an event or situation and we're not really there because we're thinking about what we need to do tomorrow or the next day or next week or something we have to resolve from the week prior. And sometimes we miss out on some of the best that life has to offer. So I pray, Father, that we'd really lean into you, that we tap into you. You have the very words of life. Where else would we go? I pray, too, that we would embrace and love those that you've brought our way, family and friends, and we'd take in the moment because this is a short trip, this thing called life. Help us to get the most out of it. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to dismiss you in a second, but I've got four questions for you. Again, this from last week, I want to jump on again. Who are you more like, Mary or Martha? Can you give some specific examples of why you feel that way? Which way do you lean? Okay, are you a person who's sitting at the feet or a person who's on your feet? All right. Do you have OCLD? Get help. Uh, number three, ever had a Martha moment? And what do you think led up to it? Number four, when is the last time you and Jesus had some time alone together. And then this one. Who's somebody that you need to reach out that you haven't seen for a while? And it might even be the people or the person you rode to this service with. And just to tell them I love you, I miss you, and I need some time with you. Have a good week. <laughs>